Day, my friends and relatives, welcome to the Red Road Radio Show. I'm your host, Lou Hastings, from the Native Now Foundation, and I am so happy to be here on FYI Nation. I can't even tell you, this is our debut show on FYI Nation. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about, real quick, what the Red Road Radio Show is going to be about it is going to be about uh, news. It's going to be commentary. It's going to be interviews about issues and challenges and successes in Indian country that affects all of us. A lot of us don't even realize that the same, those same challenges and those same issues that affect people in Indian country should mean something to all of us. So we're going to try and point those things out in this show, give indigenous people a voice, uh, an extra voice. I'm not saying that they don't have a voice now. I'm saying that, you know, every little bit helps because it's, it's been so difficult. It's been so difficult for so long to get information out there, to get news out there. And nothing says, uh, says that more than what is happening right now out in North Dakota. And we're going to talk about all of that stuff um, as as we go through and move through uh, each and every night. And of course, this night. So uh, let's get some general housekeeping out of the way right out of the gate. There are many, many ways that you can get in touch with me here um, live. And uh, I want you to hashtag FYI live if you'd like to tweet something. And uh, I'll keep an eye on that to see if there's uh, if there's some way that uh, you folks that are listening can contribute. And I hope that you do. That's exactly what this is all about. Uh, you can go to FYINation.com and uh, show up in the chat room there. And, uh, and you can make your voice heard there and contribute there. You can call us. And I love this part. I certainly loved it when... Uh, I had this show on terrestrial radio. You can call us at 810-479-4FYI. That's 810-479-4394. And I'm happy to take calls. If you hear anything that uh, compels you, that you would you want to add to whatever we're talking about, please, please do. I highly encourage this. This is going to be great. This is going to be great. So uh, a, little, a little background on that theme song that you heard right in the beginning. That is by a, a band called Scatter Their Own, and they're from the Pine Ridge Reservation, and that song is called Taste the Time. If you have a chance, go to YouTube and check out Scatter Their Own, Taste the Time. They did a really uh, professional video there, and it, this talks about uh, the effects of oil. Uh, big oil on on all of us, and especially on indigenous people. Uh, so it's it's really neat. And I I actually spoke to uh, Scotty Clifford, 
and uh, and his lovely wife Juliana, who are in the band, about making that the theme song for the Red Road Radio Show, and uh, they were super excited and said absolutely. So I'm really glad to be able to bring that over here to FYI Nation, and and uh, I want to thank my executive producer for uh, for just setting that up for us to listen to. So let's get right into it, shall we? Uh, let's talk about some of the stories that I've lined up for you tonight, and uh, I would be remiss if I did not kick off this uh, this first show, this debut show, without talking about what is going on in North Dakota right now at the Standing Rock Reservation. And uh, if if you do not know about this or have not heard about it, don't feel bad. It's not getting a whole lot of media attention. It's getting a lot more now than it was about a month ago. Uh, but it's still, it still hasn't reached the mainstream consciousness. So uh, there's a little, uh, there's a little bit more of a push that we need to give. So I'm happy to bring about it, uh, bring it up, and talk about it tonight with you guys here. And uh, if you haven't heard about what's happening, it is uh, the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe out there in North Dakota is defending against what they're calling the Black Snake, Dakota Access Pipeline, which is scheduled to stretch across four states. It's a 3.8 billion, that's billion with a B, dollar project that's going to stretch from North Dakota all the way down to a transfer point in Illinois. And the big problem that the Standing Rock people have is that this pipeline is scheduled to go underneath the Missouri River a half mile upstream of the Standing Rock Reservation, where they get their drinking water, where they get their their water from. So understandably, they are concerned. Understandably, they do not want this pipeline. So back in April, early April, might have been even April 1st, a small prayer camp was set up on the Standing Rock Reservation on the south east side of the Cannonball River, right near the border. And there are some teepees up there. They set up a, a makeshift kitchen and a camp there where a lot of folks congregated, assembled. It was really a handful right in the beginning to pray about this pipeline and about how, how they could stop it. And one way was to go there and pray about it every single day, every single day. Little by little, news trickled out. It's called the Sacred Stone Camp. And if you're interested in learning more about it, absolutely check it out on Facebook. Please do. Go to Sacred Stone Camp. And, uh, and while you're at it, if you're on Facebook, you should go to not only the Red Road Radio Show page, but also the Native Now Foundation page, which is the foundation that really uh, spawned the Red Road Radio Show. I have stories popping up there every day and we we're covering this this whole event i in fact personally went to this camp 
last month and spent 10 days and camped in this camp and spoke to people and took a lot of pictures. And um, it's, it's truly amazing what is happening. It's, it's amazing and historic all at the same time. So uh, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here, but uh, uh, let's, let's get back to the Sacred Stone camp. Handful of people getting it started, praying. Little by little, news trickles out. People start joining the camp until that camp really couldn't support any more folks that were coming and wanted to lend their support and solidarity. So another camp was set up on the north side of the Cannonball River, technically just over the border of the Standing Rock Reservation, but still within treaty boundaries. And we, we'll have to do a whole nother show on, on treaties and treaty boundaries. But as it stands right now, the land that this spillover camp is on is really there. It's taken care of by the uh, United States Army Corps of Engineers, but it's still within treaty boundaries. This camp began to grow and grow and grow. More tribes started joining this camp this resistance to this pipeline. They started walking a half mile from this spillover camp north of that camp location to where Dakota Access was plowing access roads toward the Missouri River to stand in front of the gate to sacrifice themselves and get arrested um, to try and slow down the process until they could go through a legal process of getting an injunction to get this stopped. The, uh, the Great Sioux Nation and the seven council fires of the Great Sioux Nation have not gotten together since the Battle of the Greasy Grass back in 1876. You might know it as the Battle of the Little Bighorn. That group that that grouping that seven council fires has now reunited sorry about that they've gotten together lou can you hear me okay and they are at lou can you hear okay we just had a little skype issue i just wanted to make sure you were still on the line and we fixed it sorry about that that's all right these things happen for it so I just wanted to um, to to talk about this the historic nature of these seven council fires getting together. So they are at this spillover camp right now. If that wasn't historic enough, tribes from all over the world have been arriving at this camp and showing their solidarity and telling their stories at the camp, and sharing their food, and bringing supplies. It is remarkable to see. I think at this point, last report, I think that there have been 
over 280 tribes that have offered letters of resolution or letters of support or have actually shown up at the camp and camped there since this thing began. That is unprecedented in recorded history that all of these tribes have gotten together. And this is happening right here in this country. These are people who are protecting their water. They are standing in solidarity in order to protect the first medicine. The first medicine was water. So it's really, it's unimaginable that water can be put in this kind of danger for this particular community and have it fall on deaf ears. So to, to see all of these tribes gather together is nothing short of incredible and amazing. And I, I can't believe that the entire world is not paying attention to this. Because uh, nothing like this has happened ever in, in recorded history. And it keeps on growing by the day. There is an article that I thought was, was really great uh, by Grist Magazine. And you can look it up. And uh, there's a great article, that the, um, the uh, headline is Inside the Camp that's fighting to stop the Dakota Access Pipeline. It sort of runs, runs down from uh, their reporter who was on the ground there and talks about what it's like to be standing in the camp and have just somebody come up and start talking to them. And th the day-to-day -day observations, like uh, I'll give you a, a sample Clusters of towering white teepees and neon synthetic tents hug the ground. They're grouped into small encampments for a half mile in every direction around central fires that burn day and night and send plumes of smoke into the sky. If that doesn't uh, evoke these images in your mind, I don't know what would. And that's exactly right. That's exactly what I experienced. In fact, uh, I remember sitting in my camp watching my fire and then looking around as it got dark. And, and when I tell you that this is in the middle of nowhere, it is in the middle of nowhere. This is the Great Plains. There's nothing around there, not even cell service. So there was no getting on your phone and, you know, being distracted. You were there and you were in the moment. And what struck me was at dusk, there was this uh, this fog that sort of hung over the grounds at the camp, and it was from all the campfires. And you could go anywhere in the in that camp and find people sharing stories, people sharing the warmth of their fire, people sharing um, history, people sharing goods, gifts people praying, people singing. It was unlike anything I had ever seen. North Dakota um, 
there, the government there and law enforcement would have you believe that these folks are protesters and that they are not peaceful. I will tell you that that is not true in the least. I didn't see any kind of violence. I didn't see any kind of uh, animosity toward anybody. There are no weapons, no alcohol allowed in, in both the overflow camp or the sacred stone camp. It is a prayerful place. So it is, it is really important for us in mainstream society to understand what's happening here. This is a prophecy that was handed down for generations that the seventh generation of young people would come along and they would be the ones to save the world. They would be the ones to turn around the history of oppression for native people. And it's finally coming to pass. People are starting to listen. You know, when I was there, uh, there was a uh, nonviolent direct action that happened at the construction site where folks were out there with signs and they were out there with flags and they were out there with prayer and law enforcement was brought in and there were a number of people arrested because they would not move. There were uh, folks that walked through what is still treaty land to get to the water and that was deemed as uh, an aggression by North Dakota authorities. So back at the camp where I was, and this is probably August 22nd, I would say, there, there, were, there was a, a big emergency medical vehicle or a trailer there that was given by the, the state of North Dakota emergency services. And it was air conditioned and they had medics on hand and there was a big water tank. The things that they haul out in emergencies, in state emergencies, it was put there at the camp for the comfort of those folks that are there because it's, it was for public safety. After this nonviolent direct action at the construction site, North Dakota, without any warning or any word, came and pulled the emergency services and they pulled the water for the camp, calling the camp an illegal protest. And we watched the, them pull this stuff out and everybody was asking themselves, what's happening here? What's happening? Why are they taking the water? Why are they taking the, uh, the medical services? No one understood until word came down that it was the government that did it. It was the governor who ordered those services removed. There are families there. There are children. There are elders. All there in that camp. So I don't understand what kind of threat 
they felt that there was there. But they decided to pull these services. And thank goodness for the Standing Rock tribe. They brought in their local ambulance and their personnel and nearby Cheyenne River Reservation that it, they're right directly below the Standing Rock Reservation in South Dakota, brought up these big tanks, empty tanks that they were able to fill with water to supplement the camp while people donated more water. So it just goes to show you that the, the camp was still resilient even after these services were pulled. They decided to stay and fight. They were waiting for an emergency injunction to be put in place that they filed with federal court so they could stop the construction. The, the federal judge was supposed to hear these uh, injunctions on August 24th, which is Wednesday, and I was in camp that day as well. The camp was in prayer all day, and then word came down that the federal judge in Washington, D.C., decided that he needed some more time to understand what was happening out there before he could render a decision on this injunction on both sides. And he said that he would, he would come up with an answer by September 9th which was met once the word got to camp, there were a lot, it was met with, you know, great joy and, and celebration. I can tell you that. Uh, so people were very excited about that. They knew that there was still an opportunity to be heard. They filed an injunction on, and that was right before Labor Day weekend. So um, they, they filed this injunction and on the Friday, so uh, let me see, let me make, get, make sure I have my, my dates straight here. I want to make sure I give you the right dates because uh, this, again, I was there at the camp. Um, I'm going to say... Okay, so Friday the 26th, they were, um, they were saying there at the camp that there were sacred sites and some burials out there where right in the path of the Dakota Access construction. And they wanted to make sure that they were able to go out there and, and survey and, and uh, take a look and see what was there to make sure that no cultural remains would be disturbed. We finally got to go out there on September 2nd, right before Labor Day weekend. They went out there, the, there they surveyed the site, and they found that there were cultural resources out there, and they wanted the state to take a look at them. So... Um, so they attached that to the injunction so that the judge could consider that 
on September 9th. If you have any questions, absolutely stop me at any time because I can I could go on. I'm getting in in detail in this, but give us a call. Get, call at 810-479-4FYI. We are going to take a break at the at the uh, bottom of the hour. I'll just give you a couple more uh, minutes of this before we take a, a quick break. But keep an eye on that number. Keep an eye on uh, hashtag FYI live and uh, shoot me any kind of comment, any kind of question that you have, and I'll, I'll do my best to answer it. If I don't know the answer, I will certainly find it out. And for Lou, and Lou, I will um, suggest um, to make it so I can see it. If you do hashtag FYI live and hashtag ask Lou, L-E-W, I will uh, point out to you that you got a question in the hashtag and we'll ask you that way. And do the, sure. same, and do the same thing in, in the chat room. If you have a question for Lou, do hashtag ask Lou and then just make sure that I see it by addressing me at, at FYI Nation and I will uh, ask your any questions and you can email me at doubtingtom at FYI Nation and I will try if not for this show the next show um, answer any questions you might get emailed at doubtingtom at FYNation.com perfect thank you very much Tom I appreciate that and uh, absolutely Keep that in mind. Uh, it doesn't have to be this show. I would love for it to be, but if not, um, we can certainly get back to it, and uh, and we'll we'll circle back and answer your question. Um, I just wanted to, right before we go to break, I want to, I want to tell you the, the the shocking part about the that attachment to the injunction injunction on that Friday, that September second, that holiday week. Again, um, was significant because the construction company cannot destroy cultural resources. Uh, archaeologists have to be called in. Um, state historic preservation has to be called in. And they have to check out any kind of claims of this. Well, what happened that weekend on a Saturday, on a holiday weekend, Dakota Access picked up their construction trucks, bulldozers, backhoes, all of that, and moved it 20 miles to the exact area that the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe surveyed and said that there were uh, cultural resources there, sacred places, burials, and plowed up a couple of miles worth of land right through the area that they identified as sacred. And to, to understand the significance of that, if they obliterated any evidence of a sacred site, stone carns that are set uh, in a certain pattern that would be unidentifiable after plowing through it, then there would be no way that the judge could rule that there had to be stoppage. So you can understand that people were, were really upset at the camp when they realized what was going on on a Saturday, on a holiday weekend, and they ran to the site and mayhem ensued. So I'm going to pick up on that story 
after we come back from break and let you know what sort of mayhem happened. But it got pretty ugly and it escalated very, very quickly. And then a series of events happened that were just incredible after that. So uh, at this time, we're going to go to break and then we'll come back in a couple of minutes and we'll pick up where we left off right here on the Red Road Radio Show. Hey, this is Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com. Join me for the Bradcast now every day, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern, right here on FYI Nation. One hour of troublemaking and muckraking ripped from the headlines, the pages of bradblog.com, and sometimes from the dark recesses of my mind. We'll have investigative interviews with newsmakers, we'll call out the liars, frauds, and phonies, and we'll even give kudos to the good guys, if we can find any. Stories and ideas you won't hear anywhere else. We'll report on politics, elections, election reform, mainstream corporate media failure, global warming, denialism, and everything before, during, and after. Join me for the broadcast every day, right here on FYI Nation. Communication, not agitation. Are you a night owl? If so, you can stay up with me, Tom Hartman, at midnight with the Tom Hartman Program. And if midnight isn't your cup of tea, the Tom Hartman Program is live Monday through Friday at noon. The Tom Hartman Program is paywall-free thanks to your generous donation to FYINation.com. FYINation.com costs $40 a day to keep on the air. Our original content doesn't sell you mattresses or storable food when you listen. We rely on your contributions to keep our programming paywall-free. If you can't contribute, word of mouth is just as important. Tweet us at hashtag FYILive or visit our chat at FYINation.com. And thank you for supporting FYINation. to the Red Road Radio Show. I'm your host, Lou Hastings, from the Native Now Foundation. And uh, right before the break, I was uh, letting you guys know about what was happening Labor Day weekend uh, out in North Dakota with the Dakota Access Pipeline. And uh, once the, the folks at the camp realized that Dakota Access had gone out and started plowing up the very area that was identified by the, by the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer as being sacred, um, sacred sites and burials. Uh, 
they really went out there. They went through a fence on U.S. Army Corps of Engineer land, still treaty land, and were going out to confront and really stand in front of these bulldozers and these backhoes. Well, Dakota Access had hired a private security firm who had also brought attack dogs, attack dogs, for the, for the purpose of intimidating and or worse these people who were there to protect the water. When they came up on these security officers, this private security firm, not only were they maced, everybody in the front line, but these dogs went out and actually bit people. A pregnant woman was one of them. Private security finally relented, backed off, got in their trucks, left, construction workers left, and the these water protectors were left there. E Democracy that now was there. Amy Goodman was there documenting all of it. You can see it on their site. Certainly go there and check out some of the video if you haven't seen it already. But it was it was a pretty serious escalation of anything that had happened at that point. The police were not called in, even though they were close by. The state police had set up a roadblock about not even 10 miles up the road from the camp to discourage people from heading down to Standing Rock, sending them on detours. Unless you had local business or you lived in the area, you... Uh, you were turned away. This is 2016. This is happening. They were preventing people from moving freely to the reservation. So the tribe, after this incident with this private security firm and Dakota Access, the tribe filed an emergency request with the federal judge on a holiday weekend to have an emergency hearing on this. A federal judge on Monday, on Labor Day, a federal holiday, actually called for that emergency hearing on that Tuesday, the very next day after Labor Day, to find out some of the facts. What's going on? Did they go in there and pick up and move heavy equipment, 20 miles for the express purpose of obliterating a sacred site, of obliterating cultural resources that they're supposed to protect. So they went into court and they, they determined that they should, both sides should back off and lay off of construction until the 9th when the federal judge in Washington, D.C. could rule on the injunction that was sent there by the tribe. And they were asking, of course, for stoppage of construction. Well, come that Friday, September 9th, the federal judge actually ruled against the tribe. 
and said that he was not going to order work stoppage on the construction site. No sooner did that ink dry on that order, but a joint statement by the Department of Justice, the Department of the Interior, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers released a statement saying that they wanted a stoppage of work, at least in that area where there was a question of cultural resources. They asked that Dakota Access voluntarily stop construction on private land where they had come to some agreement on easement with the property owners. And they stopped work temporarily 20 miles east of the Missouri River which really didn't do anything because that pipe had already been laid in the ground. So that didn't really help. And 20 miles west of the Missouri River and a small patch of uh, contested land. And it was really just a temporary stoppage. So while that sounds like a, a victory, it, it was, but, but it was it was short-lived. And the, the protest, according to North Dakota, was that they were saying that it was illegal. It became violent. Um, the only violence, though, was perpetrated from the private security firm hired by Dakota Access. Water protectors started chaining themselves to equipment to slow down Dakota Access. And, and that did work in a lot of cases. And these folks were arrested. The arrests started to escalate. Instead of misdemeanors and trespass, these um, protesters as they were called by North Dakota, were starting to be charged uh, with felonies. And they were, they were really ramping up the charges to try and scare people into stopping what they were doing. Meanwhile, the camp continued to grow. If you've seen pictures lately, and I encourage you to go to uh, Native Now Foundation's Facebook page and certainly go to our website as well and you can see some of the pictures of the camp. A lot of the tribes that have brought supplies and have sent their support have been bringing their flags and you have to see all of these flags that are now standing at the entrance to this camp. It looks like the UN. It really does. It's, it's an impressive sight. North Dakota said that the the camp was illegal because they had not filed for a permit to be able to camp there. And the, the tribe had actually filed that permit with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. I'm happy to say that this past weekend, they were granted their permit to camp where they are so they can stay there legally. So they are now there legally. And I'll also... 
uh, I'm happy to report to you that this past weekend, the the stoppage, the work stoppage on the pipeline was actually, it it was actually um, strengthened. So it was, instead of made temporary, it is indefinite until the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers can come to a decision on permitting for Dakota access, that they may not have gone through the proper steps. In other words, they fast-tracked this major infrastructure project without consulting the tribes, which is a, a violation of treaty. So there's a lot of laws, a lot of treaties, a lot of confusion, a lot of happiness, a lot of uh, disappointment. But there are people in this country who are still fighting for basic civil rights. They are still fighting for sovereignty and self-determination. They are still fighting for treaty rights. And I think it's important for us in mainstream society to recognize that fact that this is a struggle that is happening right now, right in our own country. And if we're not careful, we could miss a significant shift in not only environmental policy, but also in how the United States government interact state to state, government to government, with tribes that have treaties who are supposed to be sovereign nations. So it's really a significant event that is happening right now in North Dakota. I urge you to start reading up on it and finding out more about it and seeking out some of the videos. There's some great videos out there of, of what's happening out there. And I just, I hope that you go out there and check it out. There is uh, a great story um, that is, that was put out in Fargo by uh, KRQE News 13 that came out September 17th. And then the headline says, Court halts construction of another section of pipeline. Another success here. Federal Appeals Court has ordered a halt to construction of another section of the Dakota Access Oil Pipeline in North Dakota. A three-judge panel of U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit said in a ruling late Friday that it needs more time to consider the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe's request for an emergency injunction. It said it will issue another order setting a date for oral arguments in the motion. So the ruling stops construction within 20 miles on either side of Lake Oahe. Or, uh, or the Missouri River in that area. So the federal government on September 9th ordered a halt to construction on the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers land and under and around the lake after a U.S. District Judge James Bosberg rejected the tribe's request for a preliminary injunction to halt construction of the $3.8 billion four-state pipeline. So that led the the tribe to ask for the emergency injunction. So before it was a suggestion on September 9th, now it is actual. It's an actual stoppage. 
That doesn't mean, however, that construction is not continuing in other places. There are people that are now standing up in resistance against the, against the pipeline in Iowa and getting themselves arrested. There are people in South Dakota who are uh, standing up and in resistance to this pipeline being put in. There are people in states all over this country who are, uh, I don't know if you've seen the, the hashtag, but there's one out there. It's hashtag stand with standing rock. And you might see uh, if you follow me on Twitter or if you go and check out my Twitter page or my Facebook page, you'll see that all over the place, Stand with Standing Rock. So I think it's, it's really, this is an important turning point in tribal relations. I don't think that it, it will ever go back to the way it was. This has changed fundamentally not only how government deals with tribal relations with Standing Rock, but with all tribes and how they interact and deal with one another, government to government. The fact that all of these tribes are getting together, there's only 568 federally recognized tribes in this country. And now over 280 of them are now in solidarity with this one issue to protect sacred water. There's no going back at this point. There is no going back in relations. There is no going back on fighting for human rights, fighting for civil rights, fighting for treaty rights, and fighting for the environment. I think we're going to see it. It's amazing what's happening. So uh, I wanted to get that out there, and we'll still continue to follow the story here at the Red Road Radio Show, of course. Uh, I want you to think about reaching out to us. Hashtag FYI Live. Go to FYINation.com to the chat room and uh, send me a message. Call us, 810-479-4FYI. Like I said, if I don't know the answer to your question, I'll certainly find it out. Um, one other thing that I wanted to get into, and we'll only be able to touch it really briefly, uh, because if you can't believe it, it's almost it's almost time for the show to be over. I can't believe an hour ago yeah, that you, quick. I told you, I warned you, Lou, and I didn't say a damn word. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just it, there's so much information. So uh, so I'm gonna try and 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 get a little bit more out there before we have to. Uh, to pack it in for the night. But there is a, a great story out of The Guardian uh, that came out a couple of days ago. And the headline is, Meet the Trailblazing Native American Leading a Surge in Voter Activism. Denise Janot of Montana, who is running to become the first Native American woman in Congress, faces an uphill battle. So... The, the article actually goes on to say that this year is actually a, a watershed year in Native Americans who are running for office. So there are actually quite a few uh, throughout the country. And I'm trying to see and hear if, it, if, if this article identifies how many but I don't see it off the top of 
just looking at it here. But I do want to point out that there are several. Um, so Denise Janot from, uh, from Montana, Oklahoma's Republican U.S. Representatives uh, Mark Wayne Mullen is a member of the Cherokee Nation, and Tom Cole of the Chickasaw are the only two Native Americans in Congress. Both are campaigning for re-election. In Washington's 5th District, Democrat Joe Pacutus, who had a tough childhood on the Colville Indian Reservation in the state, is challenging a Republican incumbent. And in North Dakota, my friend Chase Ironize, and I'll, I'm going to try and get him on the show. He was on uh, one of my early Red Road radio shows, and uh, he was talking about a get-out-the-vote campaign that he was doing on the reservation. He is running as a Democrat for the state's only U.S. House seat. Uh, Chase is an attorney and a native rights activist. Iron Eyes has burst into the public consciousness amid the uproar over the Dakota Access Pipeline as an outspoken member of the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe and at, at the center of the protest. So, um, so Chase is he's an advocate for indigenous rights. Um, certainly the first time I met Chase, he was he was on the court steps in Rapid City, South Dakota. And we can we can go over this story. This was last not this past winter, the winter before, 2014-15, there was a group of young students, middle school students from the American Horse School on the Pine Ridge Reservation who went to Rapid City to see a minor league hockey game. And this was a, I guess it was something that was given to them as a, a a congratulations for doing well in school. So their treat was they were going to get bused to Rapid City to get to see this minor league hockey game, and they were going to see that, and then they were going to take them back to the reservation. Well, they went there, and they were in the arena, and they were sitting, on. they had floor seats, and there was a press kind of a press box or a, or a sponsor box that was above them. And there was a bunch of corporate guys in there and enjoying the game a little too much. And they were drinking and they were leaning over and they started saying racial epithets to these children. They were saying go back to the res and all this other kind of stuff and then they started you're not going to believe this they actually poured beer on these kids heads so the chaperones had to actually take these kids collect them up put them back in buses and bring them back to the reservation and imagine having to explain to parents why their kids smell like beer The, the tribe actually asked for charges to be brought. The arena couldn't find the people who rented out the box. The people in the box would not come forth, of course. 
So they were having trouble identifying who they were. Eventually they did. They put these people on trial, not for child abuse, not for a uh, hate crime, which clearly it should have been, um, but for, um, I, I think it was something that they got a slap on the wrist for. But the main part of the story was Chase Ironizer was on the court steps out there organizing a, a group of folks who marched to the courthouse in support of this these American horse 57 students and I was there um, watching him speak to the crowd and it only makes sense that he is running for the house in North Dakota I'm happy to see it and I, I wish him all the best but um, we can we can pull that old story out and and see what happened to that but these things are happening in our time these things are happening in 2015, 2016, and we have to be asking ourselves, how can that be? How can it be? So, um, Tom, did you have anything that, that you yeah, could add? Yeah, I, I, I covered this story, and I, it's vividly, you're talking about it, Lou, and in my mind, it's flashing back, and we did a whole round table, and we were just so disgusted at the behavior and the lack of um, consequences to these people who did this to these kids. Yeah. It was, um, I, I can't imagine that this is um, something that happens and, and on a regular basis, and, and what it made me even, and I know we're coming in short on time, so I'll make this quick, but what made me even more angry was the lack of empathy on behalf, it seemed, from the from the uh, stadium itself, from yeah. the organizers of the event. I, I, I couldn't believe it. To this day, I still can't believe it. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that you covered it because... I couldn't find it in, in any other stories other than locally out there. And even then, they didn't really care. Um, it was it was really just a passing story. So I went to the courthouse that day. I listened to some of the hearings. I listened to the police officers who did the interviews with, um, with the people who were in the box, with the, and I can't remember his name. I'll, I'll pull it out of the archives. Um, but uh, it, it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. But you see the same people in the same circles advocating and being an activist, and Chase was one of them. And uh, it, it's just, I'm so glad to see him running in North Dakota. And I am going to, I've already reached out to him, actually, and I know he's really busy with his campaign, but we'll get him on the show and and talk to him. I also reached out to another friend of mine who is facing a similar battle in Florida as the folks that are battling the Dakota Access Pipeline out in North Dakota. And uh, and we'll talk to her uh, quite possibly this week. Um, so we've got a lot of exciting things coming yes. up for the Red Road Radio Show, and I'm really excited to to be here and bring it all to you, especially live. 
Oh, it's beautiful life. And Lou, you've you've uh, eaten up all your time. I think at some point you're going to need two hours <laughs> because well, we are we are literally uh, down to the two minute wire. But do you want to close out and uh, some final thoughts? And you made my job easy. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Yeah. Final thoughts are um, I really I, and I've said this a couple of times in the show. I want people to listen with open minds of this show. I want people to take what what we cover on this show and go and do a little research. And and this is a, a highly intelligent audience. This is um, a highly empathetic and active audience. And I'm really looking forward to your input, to your comments to your engagement on everything that we cover here because that's that's all part of starting that dialogue that's all start of uh, part of making history so that's our tenants for the native now foundation it's engage empower and make history and that's exactly what i want you to do and thanks for listening to the red road radio show for this week and we'll see you next week that's what we'll see you tomorrow.